0: Uh, Welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, uh, here on Blog Talk, and uh, I'm your host, Karen Tate, and uh, here we are in our 13th year, if you can believe that. Yes, indeed. Um, And uh, just a shout out to Alea Deo uh, for that little snippet uh, from one of her cuts uh, called Awaken. Awaken. And uh, I use that tonight because uh, it feels so appropriate. We certainly must awaken. And um, tonight's topic, I believe, uh, is one we've been talking about uh, in in different contexts uh, over the past weeks. And the topic is that of love. Uh, I think we do need to awaken to uh, uh, the many types of love that there is out there uh, because it is so needed in the world. Um, So tonight, uh, my guest is uh, Eileen Workman. She uh, is uh, uh, returning to the show. Uh, we had such a good time uh, last chat, uh, I invited her back. And uh, we're going to be talking about the book, Raindrops of Love for a Thirsty World. And it's by life. Yeah, it's by life. And uh, Eileen will uh, tell us uh, why she credits the book to life, uh, you know, when we begin our chat. Um, but, you know, with... with um, You know, every day we turn on the news, and uh, it's something else, and uh, sometimes it gets really hard to take. I know myself, um, you know, some of you have actually resorted to writing me, and you've said, well, Karen, how do you manage it? And, uh, you know, I'll just say publicly, for those of you who have thought it, Uh, but maybe didn't take the time to email me, how do I manage it? Well, you know, I have actually uh, started to do something I call creating my own reality bubble. And uh, I listen to the news a lot less. Um, When I do catch the news, I've started to catch it from people like Stephen Colbert or uh, maybe Jimmy Fallon, Um, you know, catch it uh, from a... um, you know, a more humorous perspective, uh, so that kind of takes the edge off. Um, you know, I might not know absolutely everything that happens uh, every day, uh, but that's okay. I, I certainly know enough to know what's going on. And uh, I, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I only let uh, things that I believe are positive and uplifting to penetrate that reality bubble. Uh, And I really think that is helping tremendously. You know, what also helps is uh, to surround yourself with uh, supportive and nurturing, you know, friends and family. Uh, What also helps is uh, self-care, to really have um, compassion for ourselves, uh, as well as others, of course, but uh, to, to be kind to ourselves And I think, um, you know, even search out uh, doing things, you know, that will make you happy. Um, Search out doing things that maybe just seeing them or experiencing them makes you happy. Uh, Myself, I signed up uh, for a Tarot class. You know, all these years I've been doing so many things, you know, books, running a nonprofit, doing the radio show, yada, yada, yada. I never had time to learn to be a tarot reader. Well, you know, I'm going to do that now. Uh, I'm also uh, thinking of, um, uh, I, you know, I did my Ancestry.com thing, and I'm going to take that to the next level and start tracking my family tree. So I guess what I'm saying is, um, Uh, You know, turning inward a little bit uh, As opposed to always um, You know, putting out, putting out, putting out Uh, Of course we want to be of service We don't want to stop that But I think it's really important In these days of activism In these days of resistance In these days that are so difficult uh, That we really have some balance and uh And you know, going back full circle, this is exactly why um, you'll notice that a number of my shows over the last few months have been about love and uh, what what does it mean? you know what does it mean to to love people that you just can 't imagine loving you know um, and sometimes I think uh, it's important to also think about Uh, The narrative out there um, that promotes fear amongst people, that promotes the polarization, who does that serve? You know, uh, because I was just uh, listening to a Bernie Sanders speech and he talked about how important it is for us to uh, not succumb to that polarization, that we do need to be in solidarity, we do need to find common ground, because more than likely the people that we are frustrated with in lots of cases are not the people we really are to be um, uh, angry with. They're the people we should be standing shoulder to shoulder with and uh, resisting um, the folks who are really responsible for the suffering in the world. So anyway, uh, that's my little soapbox for tonight. And uh, I hope my little reality bubble... Uh, exercise might be uh, useful to those of you out there um, who you know maybe, maybe you're struggling and uh, you know don't feel guilty for it um, because you know what you can, you can resist while you're smiling you can, um, you know, you can wear your pink pussy hat, and you can send your postcards. You can do it in an energy of love, and you can do it in an energy of uh, of, of being positive, and vibrate on a higher level uh, while you are doing it. You know, so think about that too, because I think that's important. So anyway, I mentioned Eileen Workman is back with us tonight, and um, let me uh, reintroduce you to her again, because it's it's been a little while since she's been with us. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about her by way of her bio, and then we'll get into uh, her raindrops of love for a thirsty world. Um, Eileen Workman, she's obviously an author. Uh, She's graduated from Whittier College with a bachelor's degree in political science and minors in economics, history, and biology. She spent 16 years in the financial services industry as a senior vice president and financial advisor for Smith Barney. Uh, after experiencing a profound spiritual awakening in 2007, she left the financial services industry and dedicated herself to writing Sacred Economics, The Currency of Life, uh, as a means for inviting us, um, you know, and her readers to question longstanding assumptions about the nature of capitalism. Uh, Raindrops of Love for a Thirsty World is Miss Workman's second nonfiction offering. In it, Eileen summons the wisdom of the life force that flows within us all and invites it to speak with us in its own words. Okay, so there was the spoiler. That's why the book is, um, (laughs) uh, she credits life. Um, The book inspires a healthy sense of self-love. Uh, in the reader, in order to propel them beyond suffering and into the fullest, most beautiful expression of themselves. So, Eileen, welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to have you.
1: Thank you for having me back, Karen.
0: So, um, any thoughts about uh, any thoughts about the opening? Any anything, yay or nay um, about some of those ideas? Oh, gosh, you're totally
1: singing my song. Everything you said, I just could feel myself dancing, and I was resonating with with all of your, the points you were making. Um, it is such a challenging time to be a human being right now, and so much is coming forward. There's this incredible evolutionary thrust that I think most of us are feeling, even if we're not quite sure what's happening so the need for self-care and self-compassion and balance, all of those things that you mentioned, just really honoring yourself, that's so critical at this point in time.
0: Well, good. Well, thank you for validating that. You know, sometimes we kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, you, you know, you wonder if some of the things we say are useful or not. And, uh, Um, You know, thank you for being that reflection back. Um, You know, I I hope listeners do uh, find it useful, as I'm sure they will um, find our chat tonight, I believe. So, um, you know, aside from the obvious, um, you know, again, the title of the book we're talking about is Raindrops of Love for a Thirsty World, and I love that title. I mean, it just oh it uh, it kind of gives me goosebumps because i'm you know thinking you know it 's more than just words, I can feel it You, you know what I mean i mean it 's visceral um, mm-hmm. you know what you know what's the message of your book? Uh, what do you feel is the promise that it makes for those who pick it up and take the time to read it
1: well but that visceral feeling is the energy of the book, the way that the book is structured and the way that it was kind of hit the page was designed to use the rational center but to infuse that logic with the feeling aspect of of love of compassion of kindness there's a tenderness to it So it's a journey, but it's not just a mental journey. It's an emotional, spiritual journey that takes, you know, it it settles in you in a very cellular way. And that was the intent, is I think so many people in the world have concepts right now. We're, We're in a very thinking time of human evolution, where we have all these ideas and all these thoughts and all these beliefs. And for it to become real, any of these things that we're thinking or dreaming of or imagining to be real, we have to embody them in the material realm that we occupy. So that cellular dance, that aliveness of a concept when we resonate with it all the way through, helps to anchor it in our DNA, in in our consciousness DNA that is a little bit different from perhaps our biological DNA, but it exists. There's a field of aliveness and consciousness. And and when we speak into that field, when we feel into that field, we walk in it. So it's it's more than just a thought. And that's that's really what the book
0: is speaking to. Well, and and as you're saying that, I'm thinking as well, um, when we allow ourselves to feel it, when we get that um, juice, if you will, um, you know I think then it um, helps us fight for it in a sense, you know, uh, because we want to keep it, we don't want to lose it, we want to feel like that as often as possible. You know, it's like we've had a taste of it now, and we want to have it again and again.
1: Right, right. It's like if if you have you know found a wonderful place that you like to go, you want to return to it over and over. But you have to have actually been there the first time. It can't just be a point on a map or something that you've seen photographed of it. There, there is something to be said for tasting and touching and smelling, the, the whole sensory experience of being alive. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why our emotions are so potent is because our emotions open that avenue that connects our consciousness with the material realm. And there's an energy, it's an energy field. And so right. by, by making sure that we're all sharing the energy field and we're conscious of being in that shared energy, energy field, it creates communion, which is very different from communication. The book yeah. is an
0: invitation to communion. Okay. Um, now, you know, we've, I've, I've kind of uh, you know, said a little bit about you credited uh, the book's author uh, as life rather than naming yourself. Uh, speak to that a little bit, um, and you know uh, maybe offer some tips on how others might also get in touch with that source, too.
1: Oh, that's a great question. yeah, and everybody can do this. It's not you know there's nothing special or unique about me being able to have that kind of internal dialogue with myself. But that's what the book is it's It's a series of discrete writings that came through me. As I was sitting in open meditation as a separate human being, an individual human being, I should say, asking the universe all kinds of questions, things that I just didn't understand or I wanted to try to make sense of, words from my childhood, all kinds of things I wanted to unpack and just sort of look at and say, you know, what is this? How do I move through this process and this this challenge? And the answers that I received, when I went still, after asking the question in open inquiry and just being curious, these answers came to me in these beautiful flowing passages, and I described them down. And I credit it to life because the wisdom that I transcribed felt like it came from a deeper place than anything, you know, Eileen Workman knows. And mm-hmm. it really did feel like a dialogue. And so I wanted to recreate that experience for the reader so that the reader can intuit how to do that for themselves and have the experience of hearing that voice, that rich, resonant, wise voice of life itself, which is far deeper and, and broader than anything that you know, a single human being can do
0: Oh, that sounds delicious. So what, what were some of the questions, you know, maybe just one or two, um, that uh, you thought maybe you got the most potent answer?
1: I had a lot of questions around fear, you know, why does fear keep coming up for me? How do I deal with fear? How do I cope with it? How do I address something like anger? How do I cope with that? So those kinds of questions were crucial to my development. And as I asked a question and would think into stillness, I, you know, I would hear an answer that would be something like, you know, here is what fear is for you, and this is how it is helpful for you to look at fear and deal with fear. And it taught me, you know, that life taught me to make fear my friend rather than have it be this Terrible freakish monster of energy that I had to suppress in my subconscious because I couldn't handle it being in the same space with me. And so instead of making it wrong, I learned how to invite it in with curiosity and say, you know, what, what are you here to show me? What are you here to teach me? And as as these lessons became more fast and furious and also more grounded. I developed this capacity to start to see everything as energy, to experience everything as energy, not just as discrete, objective, separate, you know, existences, but as a flow, this weaving, this beautiful weaving and flow of energy that people really are. We, we are energy in motion. So learning how to navigate that motion in, in a more useful and a deeper, richer, more beautiful, inspiring way has been the journey. Mm,
0: sounds uh, sounds sounds really delicious, and you know, especially when you think that you know, so many people are being motivated by fear right now. Um mm-hmm. you know, a, God, if there were if there were just a way to make your book mandatory <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, it could be uh, it could be so useful uh, because you know we're, I, I think we're so much more easily manipulated uh, when we're fearful. And uh, you know when it, 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 and yet when we're in that hopeful, optimistic, um, loving place, um, I, I think you know we as human beings, Make such better, such better decisions, um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know. Um, so, um, so your book talks about uh, the human journey. Um, mm-hmm. Speak, speak more to that.
1: Well, I, I'm always a fan of looking at human consciousness in the same kind of framework or context as we look at the development of the human species, the physical species. So we speak of evolution and how, you know, humans over time have developed certain skill sets, including self-awareness, including a deep, rich, emotional interior life, including the capacity to reason, including the capacity to imagine and dream, and all of those things, you know, they they, they are true in our material form, they're true energetically, and they're true in our consciousness. So... My thought was that a lot of the stories that we've told ourselves historically about the evolution of human consciousness were told from the perspective of a child mindset. So when we speak of things like the Garden of Eden and having been cast out of the garden because God the Father was angry with the children who misbehaved and didn't obey and threw us out of the garden, I kind of turned that on a fear a little bit and said maybe what's really going on here is as our consciousness has reached a certain level of maturation, we're ready to bloom. We're ready to become all we can be, to move out of the limitation of self-awareness and move into this more expansive experience of life awareness. But in order to have that experience, we had to be cast out of the nest, just like a baby bird. You can't stay in the nest of the fledgling forever. So what we considered from our perspective of the baby bird that was thrown out of the nest, we must have thought, oh, our parents must hate us. You know, this is awful. Mm-hmm. We
0: must have been bad yeah. birds.
1: When in fact, that's part of the developmental process is learning to fly. So, yeah, the first cast, maybe we stumbled a little and got a little bruised and were confused. And maybe that's been a seven or 8,000-year phase for humankind. But now we're getting off and we're getting ready to expand our wings and we can sense, we can feel our consciousness and its capacity to fly. We can feel, even if we can't see it, that life force holding us and sustaining us, just like a parent bird would be flying over its baby, calling to it and saying, you know, rise up, rise up. So we're feeling that in consciousness. And I'm drawing attention to it in this book because I want people to shift their way of thinking, no longer feel bad, bruised, broken, damaged, not good enough, unworthy, but simply maturing. We're maturing. And that gives us the strength and the power and the quiet confidence to see where that takes us.
0: Mm. I, I like how you describe that um, because you know this idea of you know we're kicked out of the Garden of Eden and you know we're we're feeling rejected and bruised and um, it's hard to have self-love when you're feeling um, rejected or other you know uh, but i but i but this idea of it, the way you're describing it you know it it reminds me of the the nurturing arms of the divine feminine you know uh to cultivate mm-hmm. that uh type of energy uh instead you know that that nurturing that acceptance um, you know that uh, that self love for ourselves and you know to try to find that uh you know for other people as well and you know and there's the reflect- the and, and you know in my mind there's the reflection of goddess you know when we do that we are um reflecting her out into the world and uh and and into ourselves
1: absolutely absolutely that's such a huge part of it is that that Divine Feminine quality, the unconditional love for the creation that has expressed through Goddess, through Divine Feminine, just like a mother unconditionally loves her child, no matter what that child turns out to be, you know, 99.99% of all mothers feel that incredible love for their children. And it's not because she's, proud of of the qualities of the child it's that bliss of having created this life form that you don't even know what it's going to be it's just it's just beautiful in your sight and you can't wait to see it unfold because it has its own uniqueness and yeah. i think the universe of consciousness uh, the consciousness of the universe is waiting to see what is what has humanity got? What what are these latent gifts that we have that have yet to unfold and really anchor in us and what magnificent things will we do once we yeah. are
0: able to see and operate those gifts in, in full force. And and just for context here, you know, we're living right now in this uh patriarchy that is the dominator ex, uh, authoritarian father and that um Elicits uh, guilt shame fear uh, it doesn 't elicit these um, you know these these feelings that you 're talking about that comes from a world that is working from the feminine you know um, mm-hmm. and and that and that 's truly I, I think the challenge of our consciousness isn 't it to, um, to you know to shift things away from uh, those uh, things that the authoritarian father uh, instills in us, you know, that wounds us, that makes us feel less than, that makes it hard to love ourselves, um, and, and instead shifts it over to that, you know, that unconditional loving mother that so many people um, maybe have never felt in their entire life. Well, I think you're hitting on really
1: the strategic challenge of humanity at this time is to mother and nurture ourselves to the extent that we mature our own divine consciousness within ourselves. And as we fall irrevocably in love with ourselves, we can then, out of that wholeness and that maturation, take life as our lover it's no longer father to child or mother to infant it is the fully mature human consciousness needing life as a lover and that's the true intimacy and the true communion that this process is inviting us to really move into in a conscious way and accelerate
0: and and i think too um i mean you're triggering so many um uh, snippets of conversations you know I've had with folks, but um, you know I was just having a conversation with someone recently about Phyllis Chesler's book, uh, *Women's and Humanity to Women*, and we were discussing why is it women are so cruel to one another? You know why the jealousy, why the backstabbing? You know why all the, um, uh, you know the competition, the uh, and, instead of you know banding together as women? Because I mean, imagine, I mean we're we're uh, you know more than um, half the population on the earth you know if we could figure out uh, the secret to standing together in solidarity instead of and um, fighting one another, uh, what we could accomplish and it, I think it goes back to this idea of we have been so wounded, uh, there is uh, so little self-love. Um, but if we could understand how to, uh, how to love ourselves, then uh, we wouldn't lash out with these, you know, with the jealousy, with the competition, with these things that really don't serve us, you know, our friends, the community, uh, any of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And and one thing I will say, and I hear what you're saying is so true. There's such a deep truth there. And it's so important at the same time for us. When we unstintingly look at the things where we we feel like we're coming up short or where we have to try harder and really extend ourselves, it's so crucial that we extend ourselves maximum compassion because the, the reason that we're struggling so to extend ourselves in love and in communion toward others is because we are anchored in a reality where when we were born, everybody in the world, almost to the exclusion of nobody, was looking at reality through the lens of me. What is it saying about me? What does it mean for me? What's going to happen to me? How does this affect me? And that question automatically creates a gulf between this idea of me and the rest of reality. So that's how we were taught to see the world, and we have to unteach ourselves to see the world in a different way, and the way that we see the world as we make the shift is no longer a separation between me and whole, but myself as a dynamic, creative, uniquely configured, but ultimately fully integrated and interconnected aspect of whole so when i see myself as a cell in in the collective consciousness rather than as a separate consciousness everything changes but it's not easy to do in a world where everybody else is is, um, many many people are in this little isolated bubbles of me against the rest of the world so it's very easy to fall back
0: into that pattern
1: and and we just have to kind of pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and start again when
0: we do. Well, yeah, and I think that's important to say as well. You know, I mean, as we are trying to evolve, um, you know, as we're trying to vibrate on this higher level and be, um, you know, more compassionate human beings to mature, um, you know we 're not going to get it right every day either you know sometimes it 's you know one step forward and two steps back you know uh or you know mm-hmm. maybe we even have to repeat. Some things we thought we learned, and uh, you know maybe we come back around again, and you know we learn it on a different deeper level or something uh, uh, but uh, but I think that's so true you know because this whole idea, this consciousness that we 're talking about it really is about the um, i think the we and the us uh, rather mm-hmm. than the I and the me you know this individuality, this uh, separateness this you know, feeling of isolation and um, uh, survival of the fittest almost, you know. Um, right. I, I think those, those feelings go away when we can um, get ourselves into this new mindset.
1: Well, and I'll tell you, that the thing that worked so beautifully for me, the process that's been unfolding and that began when I started writing this book was I became conscious of the fact that the way that I spoke to myself inside my own head was quite cruel. I was very judgmental. I was very harsh. I picked on myself constantly. I criticized myself constantly. I judged and shamed and blamed myself constantly. And it was such a companion voice, I wasn't even aware of the damage it was inflicting on my own psyche until I started to listen to it. And one of the challenges that rose in me, and the reason I wrote this book, was I wanted to repattern the way that I was speaking to myself. And that's what this book did for me, is, is I recognized as I was going through this process and hearing this loving, compassionate, warm, radiating, kind voice that had some hard things to say. It taught me some hard lessons, but it did it in a loving way. Mm -hmm. And I recognized that that if I could speak to myself that way 100% of the time, the way that I speak to myself is the energetic way that I speak to other people in the world.
2: Mm, Good point.
1: So changing it inside changes the way that I address everyone else. And that was such a critical learning because I had no idea how hard I was being on other people until I really allowed myself to hear how hard I was being on me and then yeah. I recognize that as within, so without.
0: Perfect. So, so Eileen, um, you know, for listeners who are saying, okay, all right, uh, we, I, I get it, Eileen, I get it, Karen, but now tell me how to do this. Um, so what are some specific exercises that maybe a person can do to start this sort of shift of consciousness for themselves?
1: Well, I can, I can share with you the one that works the most um, effectively for me. It may not work for everybody. You know, your mileage may vary. But <clears throat> this, is, this is the one that I practice most frequently. And that is whenever I feel my own internal energy getting kind of mucky, like if my heart starts to squeeze or my gut gets tight or my head feels buzzy or thick or I feel myself in resistance or emotional upset for any particular reason, is I stop and I take first take a really deep couple of cleansing breaths to give myself some space from the feeling. And then I go into a, a kind of a scan, a body check, of where is the tightness, where is the resistance coming from. And most of the time it will be in one or more of those what we call the chakra centers. And, and I don't you know, hesitate to get what some people might call woo-woo, but it actually works. There are seven basic points of energy in the human body all the way from the, the root chakra, which is you know, near your, your base of your spine, all the way up to your crown. And each of those centers has its own unique sensation. And what I have found is I can unlock the tightness in any one of those seven centers simply by working through them, you know, moving up from the base of the, the root all the way to the crown, and the energetic antidote for the clenching of each of those chakras would be for, for the root chakra, I stop and I remind myself to trust in the universe. Trust, trust that I'm here for a reason, whatever's showing up for a reason, and it's, it's showing up for a reason, it's all good. And then I move into the sexual chakra. If, if I feel tight in that real low gut, I realize I'm being closed off to the world and, and I need to open more, to be more receptive to whatever is showing up. And if, you know, moving up further, I move into the the uh, solar plexus, which is your gut chakra, and if that feels tight, I call on the energy of courage to help me relax into whatever is unknown that might be causing me consternation. Into the heart chakra, moving up again. I stop and I call on the power of compassion to help me open my heart instead of being judgmental toward myself or others. How can I be? bring compassion to this moment which brings connectivity? Into the throat chakra, if my throat feels tight or hard and I'm, I'm feeling pressure, I relax it and I, I try to bring more kindness through my vocal cords. How can I speak in a kinder way where there's a softness and an invitation to dialogue and in a third eye chakra if I feel that tightness or that sense of density in my head just to relax and invite patience to come forward and say okay make space make space for what wants to show up and allow it to present itself fully before responding and if I can do all of that if I can be trusting I can be open I can be courageous I can be compassionate kind and patient I create a field of peace. That's the crown chakra. the a field of peace that invites whatever is showing up to meet me in the spaciousness of peace. It doesn't mean that it will, but I've created the conditions then for the maximum opportunity for the best possible outcome. And that's how I'm trying to move through the world these days.
0: And probably, too, um, that puts you in a place where you – Handles, handle things in the, and probably more likely the best possible way than if you had not given yourself a minute or two uh, to go through that exercise. It may have come from Absolutely. a reactionary place.
1: Exactly. The difference is to stop reacting based on the old emotional wounds and trigger habits and patterns. And consciously repattern the way that you choose to act in the world. Not, this is what I'm doing: is seeing how well I can embody those seven
0: qualities
1: in my day-to-day experience. Am I being trusting? Am I being open? Am I being uh, courageous? Am I being compassionate, kind, patient, peaceful? And if I can say yes in any moment to all seven of those energetics and I know I'm expressing with unconditional love and that there's integrity and honesty and how I do myself then will inform what I do and there's always a better quality to what I do because how I'm doing myself has that higher quality that higher vibrational frequency
0: nice, nice, I like that um, and as you were saying it, I was sitting here with my eyes closed, seeing, you know, seeing the outline of your body and my mind's eye, watching you uh, go up the chakras and uh, spinning each one, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a kind mm-hmm. of a gold, golden spinning light. Um, so, um, you now I know you have um, some ideas about what you think is in store for humanity and the uh, in, in the years ahead, especially with regard to technology. Um, what about that do you want to share with us, and how far in the future are you talking about?
1: Well, I don't, I wouldn't say I see into the future. I have an intuition based on where my trajectory is going as to what's possible for the species as a whole. And I see that you know the shifts that are happening now, particularly this last great thrust that we've made into the age of information, where we've computerized and digitized and made wireless so much of our capacity to communicate, and the intellectual side of the machine realm is now keeping pace and catching up with humankind. We've created over many thousands of years um, a system, an economic system, that has the capacity to take care of us with little, very little human energy having to go into it. And that could be a hugely freeing thing for humankind. If we can have the machines and you know, operating on renewable energies, making the things that we need such that we no longer have to put 40 hours of labor into the process in order to produce what we need, we free up our consciousness to collaborate on higher order things, bigger questions than just how do we get food, how do we get shelter, how do we make sure we have energy, how do we make sure we have money in our pockets. All of those questions become mundane or obsolete as we permit the the machines that we've built with our incredible creative capacity to do the work that we had been formerly doing. Of course, the big challenge is that those machines are owned by a very small number of individuals who happen to be the capitalists in the system, and the rest of us have fewer and fewer opportunities to insert our physical labor into that system in order to extract capital so that we can buy the things other machines are making. Right. So that's the real challenge, is how do we turn that corner? And and I think it has to do with seeing the interconnectivity of all things and instead of seeing people separate from one another, recognizing the benefit
0: of what we've created and allowing it to benefit us all. Well, and, and what you're talking about is, um, is uh, it, it feels like it's, it's one of these ideas that's, um, I, I, I think, trying to be birthed on a bigger scale. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there are other people who have talked about, you know, the fact that the uh, machines are going to take so many jobs. Um, w- what will people do for work? And some people are saying, well, uh, what we have to do is uh, provide uh, a living wage for people who simply there's no work out there to get. And, uh, you know, and then it may be an exchange for that. You know, they do volunteer work or something to, you know, for the community, so to speak, they're of service some kind of way. Um, and I am, you know, I see that as so liberating because if you don't have to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, imagine the other, um, uh, you know, more creative things you can do, uh, you know, maybe even find your authentic self, you know, if you're, <laughs> if, if you're not busy being that hamster on the wheel. Uh, if you, and, and some people have said, well, uh, the people who benefit most from the automation, the, these capitalists who are putting people out of work and, uh, you know, using the machines instead of the uh, humans, they are the ones that will have to foot the bill. And that makes perfect sense to me. Um, obviously, I'm not, you know, one of these capitalists. So I guess my question to you is, you know, uh, in your bio, you know, you you work side by side with, uh, you know, these Wall Street folks. Um, how How do we change that? that capitalist mindset i mean it seems like they're a tougher nut to crap because the stuff you and i are talking about i am assuming and i might be wrong you know maybe some of them hate their existence as much as we hate what they are doing the world um but you know how do we reach them to tell them that this is um you know this is this is not the the future most of us want Mm -hmm. on the planet
1: Oh, that's a good question, and, and I guess where I, how I frame it is that the, the capitalistic engine that has been driving us for, you know, actually basically thousands of years, even though we've only really been talking about it as capitalism per se for a couple of hundred years, but it's, you know, it's the same engine that's been moving through the world. It's just taken on more steam and gotten, you know, more solidified as an idea. But that engine was a high-growth engine that was designed to help us figure out how to make the goods and services and produce the services that we need to provide our basic needs. So in a sense, the whole economic enterprise that we've been building for thousands of years is an autonomic nervous system for the human species Just like we have a digestive system and lungs and, you know, all these things inside of us that do a job, but our consciousness doesn't engage with it and say breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, or time to digest. We're not doing that at all. It's all mechanized. It's all automated in our body. And that frees up our consciousness to focus on higher order questions. That's how our our individual body works, and I think we've been building that writ large upon the landscape of the earth for thousands of years. We're building a social body. We just haven't turned on that autonomic nervous system yet and invited it to nourish the entire cellular organism of humankind. And I do believe that because of the way that capitalism is constructed, it has the seeds of its own dissolution built in because you cannot continue charging people for access to things that they have no capacity to have input into. It just doesn't work. So Mm -hmm. the system will self-destruct. It has to. It's unsustainable. And by definition, anything that's unsustainable cannot sustain itself. So as the collapsing of the system takes place, Already underneath it, there is a birthing, like you mentioned, of new ideas, new concepts, new ways of of trying to do it differently. Because really what we're talking about is freeing ourselves up from the mundane processes of providing each of our own individual basic needs so that we can creatively collaborate as local groups of consciousness to solve the bigger challenges that are that you have to address, things like climate change, things like how do we deal with pollution, how do we deal with, you know, how do we make sure that we have renewable energy, how do we ensure that everybody is healthy and has a place to live, how do we get to the stars, how do we migrate into this universe and discover what else is out there, those questions are burning in all of us. No one's, you know, the the greatest, I think, misunderstanding of the human condition is this belief that if we didn't punish people or make them afraid or put them under stress and privation, they wouldn't work. Absolutely untrue. Some of the most hard workers I know are people who have, theoretically, all the money they need. It's not about money. It's about passion. It's about drive. It's about wanting to serve a higher purpose than the self. And we all feel that. That's that's part of our innate persona, it's who we are. So we don't have to harm each other to to get people to bring out their best.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, that that horrible phrase that um, uh, I think was coined during the Reagan administration, the welfare queen, uh, you Mm. know, I think people have that, uh, notion maybe that oh well you know we'll all just turn into these lazy takers and somebody else will have to you know uh, pick up after us all so to speak you know metaphorically but but I agree with you you know um, you know I've been reading Eric Fromm uh, you know and uh, he's he's it, he's been delightful uh, and he talks about how uh, people uh, for so long. Have been told what to think uh, and what to like, that uh, people don't even uh, know what really makes them happy you know because they're they're constantly being marketed to you know oh well, if you look like this, you'll be happy. If you drive this kind of car you'll be happy. if oh if you just you're a fashionista and you wear these clothes, you'll be happy. Uh, but you know it, but if we really got out of this having mode. Uh, and he talks about getting more into a being mode which this mm-hmm. kind of shift uh we're talking about would enable because we wouldn't be these hamsters on the wheel 40 50 60 hours a week at work to make ends meet we might actually imagine i mean imagine it we might actually figure out what truly truly makes us happy instead of just you know being fed uh advertising and propaganda by you know, corporate, you know, corporate America, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You're hitting it right on the head as far as I'm concerned.
1: I mean, the, the, the notion that we're taught what to do, and we have all these rule books, you know, thou shalt and thou shalt not, and this is what you're supposed to do, and you get punished and you get rewarded. And we have discovered rather belatedly that as creation is literally speeding up, because there's now 8 billion of us on this planet that are interacting in all these novel and creative ways, and we are creating more faster than ever before, and we cannot write new rule books fast enough so that every human being can know exactly what they're supposed to think, do, or feel in every situation they might encounter. It's it's impossible. So that old way of being in the world, turning to higher authorities and saying, tell me what to do, That's not working anymore. So that is what we are decoupling from. That's a very childlike way to be, by the way, to have an an outside authority tell you what to do. So as we step into this maturation of consciousness, we're decoupling from our attachment to these old rule books and, and belief systems of what to do and saying instead, really going inside and saying, how do I wish to be in the world? Because how I wish to be, if I can embody that, the way that I want to interact with life, then whatever shows up, I'm going to meet it that way and that mm-hmm. will be my default mode. doesn't mean I can't change, but you know I, I know how I wish to meet everything new. I wish to meet everything new from a place of love and openness and compassion and and kindness and curiosity and, and you know patience let's let's see what happens here. Let's collaborate, let's dance. And if something doesn't want to dance with me, that's fine. Go dance somewhere else. I'll dance somewhere else. You know, it'll be okay. But, you know, more often than not, I find people love the opportunity to dance at that degree of communion, to that degree of communion. So it's it's a qualitative shift in our energy that is coming forward. And I think that's going to be a qualitative shift in what we co-create
0: and well and i think it will also enable people to be their true authentic selves you know because how many people or who uh and, and maybe i'm just saying this a different way uh but how many people or who they Believe uh, they are supposed to be because their religion told them to be this way or not be this way or Mm. their family or their culture. Uh, And maybe, you know, they're resistant to it. Maybe that isn't even really who they are, but they don't have any choice, you know. Um, Mm. And maybe that's some of the rule books you're talking about. Um, you know, some of those rule books get thrown out because, you know, the authoritarian father, he needs those rule books. You know, he needs to
2: have mm-hmm.
0: power over and control, uh, you know, and, and have everyone performing uh, in, in an ex- a way that's acceptable to him. And um, I think more and more people are saying, heck with that. I think you're absolutely right.
1: It's it's a huge shift that's happening now, and it's a beautiful shift. So I'm very joyful and anticipatory as I'm watching people one by one make these small life changes and small changes in their own perception as to, you know, how they want to do themselves. And that's really the big question. How do you, how do you want to be? And as we relax into that, exploration and discover it's just really it's an experiment, it's a journey there's no right or wrong answer but we have feelings for a reason and our feelings help to guide us toward what feels good and what doesn't feel good and and if we make love our true north and our compass of joy points to love and we listen for those signals in our own body that tell us we're on the right path in how we're being and how we're expressing then what we express carries that fragrance with it into the world. And it can't help but be better than what we were doing when we weren't attaching that fragrance of love to our actions. So when you talk about, you know, what does love mean or how does it operate, to me that's what it is. It's a fragrance of communion. It's the fragrance of connection. It's the honoring of the self as perfect, just as you are, even though there is still growth and there's change and there are latent capacities that are maturing. And and probably one of the greatest sadnesses I have is when I see people who have suppressed their passions and their joy because the system has told them what to do or, or everybody around them has said, you know, you've got to go get a job and, you know, you're never going to be a musician because nobody is ever successful, so go be an accountant instead. And that mm-hmm. person will do accounting because they, they, that's their safety, but in that safety, there's no joy. There's actually yeah. a burden and pain of having lost your passion or surrendered it on the altar of safety. So that Absolutely. that's going away. That safety is going away anyway. So now it's time to find your joy.
0: So um, the masculine and feminine. Um, where where are they going to fit into all of this? Um, you know, do do you see that relationship changing over time? Well, I think it has to change inside each of us.
1: You know, I I look at the divine masculine and the divine feminine as two halves of a whole, and we each have both halves within us. And what is emergent right now what's rising is the divine feminine the qualitative compassionate receptive open side of our persona and what's been active for the past seven or ten thousand years has been the divine masculine the patriarchal thrust into the world build things make things you know be aggressive challenge be competitive that's been running the show And it's not surprising because, you know, that's what happens in adolescence is boys get that first flush of testosterone and that takes over and the girls kind of curl up and go inside themselves and get insecure. So she's waking up now and she's moving into balance. And as that balance occurs, we see things like Malala in the world. What is Malala but the divine feminine standing up to the patriarchy and saying, no, I'm not a little girl. I refuse to be put in a box and told what I can and cannot do. Here's how I'm going to be. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to express, and nothing is going to stop me. And that's her voice, and we all have that voice inside of ourselves. And so pulling that forward and allowing it to express, not in petulance or childishness or anger, but standing in its own authentic truth, and then you can't help but fall in love with it.
0: And I and I think too, you know, the the masculine shifts, and instead of being this, um, you know, this aggressor, this uh, warrior, I think the aggress, I, I think the the masculine learns to be the protector, learns to be the nurturer, learns that that's not uh, that's not weakness uh mm. and you know and and th- that i think solves uh, solves a lot of problems for men in the world actually you know when they realize right. that this new way of being uh is uh is acceptable you know maybe even um more humane
2: mhm
1: i i think it's what women are choosing more and more we're we're not choosing the alpha males who are fighting and hard anymore we're looking for that man who can lead us on that field of intimacy who can hold us as 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 lovers not as children that need to be protected but as lovers to be cherished and to cherish equally in return Mm, i love that so there's a beautiful give and take and and as we do that in our that dance in our own lives that manifests in the society as humanity as a whole So it starts with every individual couple creating that spaciousness and that place of peace in their own relationship, balancing their own internal masculine and feminine and inviting the intimacy of that experience to come forward from the other, their partner, their beloved, and doing that dance together and then sharing and gradually inviting other people into that circle and seeing how it spins out. It does. It becomes this wave of energy that moves out.
2: Now...
0: Well, yeah, and then, you you know, you teach it to your children and your nieces and your nephews and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and like uh, the pebble in the pond. Um, now, uh, I think you've said that uh, maybe these ideas, you know, some sort of take it as uh, repudiation of God or religion in the traditional sense. Um, uh, talk about that. Have you had some pushback or what's that about? Oh, Yeah, I I mean,
1: there's always going to be pushback from people who have very hard, rigid concepts of what God is or what religion teaches. And, you know, I have a much more fluid way of holding it in in that, you know, if you were to ask me to define God, I would say it's everything, that God is everywhere, everything all the time in us, you know, around us, that, that God, if you want to define it, I would say is the creator experiencing creation as the created. So it's the whole, it's the whole flow, and we are that. And that's something that I think some people who are highly religious have difficulty wrapping their heart around: is that they are a cell in the body of God. And we tend to think of ourselves as separate from God, and, and I hear that a lot from religious people: that I can't be God. That's that's a ridiculous comment. But it's you know, to me, it's a very valid truth that, that that's how it works. So hating anything or feeling distant or separated from anything. You're feeling distant or or separated from God. And we can close that gap in a heartbeat simply by tapping into that god field, God-force
2: inside of ourselves.
0: Okay. Um, well, um, Eileen, we are uh, coming close to the end of our chat. Um, I want to take a brief little break uh, because I have a word from Joe Carson I want to share with listeners. But when we come back, um, I, I, I want you to be uh, thinking about is there anything uh, we haven't chatted about you think might be important uh, for listeners to hear? Um uh you know or you know what uh you know what closing words would you um you know have for those who um, are hearing our chat tonight okay mhm so mm-hmm. i'll I'll be right back
2: most people see humankind as
0: really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much
2: of this earth as a rock or tree is. And I came out of
0: it because this is my mother's
1: planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than
0: spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, you've been listening to the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. In it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of goddess as Gaia. Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film, and these spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. If you've always wanted to see them yourself but haven't, this is an opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and booklet for only 20 bucks, and you get it at DancingWithGaia.com. That's DancingWithGaia.com. So, Eileen... Um, as, uh, as we wrap up our chat tonight, um, what ideas uh, or thoughts haven't we covered or what, would you like, uh, what ideas would you like to leave listeners with?
1: Well, I'll share something with you that I think is perhaps the most profound thing that I've come to experience in my own life as part of this, this shift in me. And that is this, that I used to think it was, it was exhausting to practice love that it was so easy to fall into being unloving, being unkind, and so forth. But what I have discovered is that as I practice expressing love into the world, not just as an idea, like thinking I love this person, but really allowing myself to feel the love move through my body and as an energy into the world directed at another person, What I've realized is that as that feeling moves through my body and goes out into the world, it kisses me first. So rather than it being an exhausting mental process, it's now this rejuvenating, inspiring, invigorating, physiological process of of me just moving through the world and seeing where can I send the energy of love now because every time I send it into the world, I call it up through my body, and I feel it at the cellular level. And I become love fully embodied in those moments. And they are the most beautiful, peaceful, life-affirming, inspirational moments that I have in my day. And the more of them I can create, the more joyful my life becomes. So I invite everybody who's looking to this to try that. Just, just try to experience it. And discover how it is so re reaffir- self it so reaffirming
0: nice nice um so, Eileen, um, we've been uh, talking about your, uh, your new book, Raindrops of Love for a Thirsty World. And uh, also, we previously, I believe, chatted in our last interview uh, a long time ago, uh, Sacred Economics, the Currency of Life. Um, where can folks get uh, both of your books? At the usual places or where?
1: Yeah, they're they're pretty much available at the usual places. We have a, a national distributor, but it's they're a little harder to find in you know smaller bookstores these days because they don't stock as many things. But anybody any bookstore can order them. They're available on Amazon. Um, if you have KDP Select or Kindle Select, you can download Raindrops of Love for a Thirsty World in ebook
0: format for free.
1: Uh, through their lending library program. So go out
0: and get it. Well, that sounds like a deal. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I Eileen, mean, thank you. Uh, thank you for your work in the world. Uh, and uh, I hope listeners pick up both your books, uh, Sacred Economics and Dra- Raindrops of Love for a Thirsty World, because we certainly. Uh, I, 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 you know, I don't know how else to say it. We're all pretty thirsty, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so I, I, I think, uh, I, I think we we need to uh, to spread that around. Uh, so thank you, thank you so much for for your insight you. and and sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate you coming back on the show. And
1: thank you for having me.
0: Well, you're welcome and uh let's keep in touch. Let me know what you're doing and uh anything else uh you churn out anything else good uh let me know, and we'll have you back again
1: absolutely
0: thank you good night good night oh, you know I was looking at a meme uh on uh Facebook uh today, and it went um uh, don't go where you're tolerated. Go to where you're celebrated. Doesn't that sound delicious? Doesn't that sound like um, the way you want to live your life? Uh, you know, uh, instead of being surrounded by people who uh, maybe don't appreciate you for who you are or you can't really be yourself, um, yeah, go to where you're celebrated, not to where you're tolerated. Uh, I I think that's uh, you know could be you know some of our our new mottos or our new mantras. <laughs> uh, well, here's a word from Laura Perry, and I'll be right back. The Minoans of ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries.
2: Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labyrinth and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book, and discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com.
0: And if you're interested in uh, what Laura Perry was just uh, talking about in her commercial, uh, you can hear Laura and I's interview um, in the archives there. Uh, Just uh, put in the search box, Laura Perry, uh, maybe throw in the word Minoan uh, uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, and um, a couple of the interviews we've done uh, over the last couple of years will pop up. Uh, Laura's group is in the process of uh, reconstructing uh, the Minoan, um, you know, spiritual life uh, in a modern-day context, and uh, you know, close to nature, and um, uh, lots of wonderful uh, concepts. Uh, so, if that's a culture that's you know piqued your curiosity Or uh, you, f- you felt drawn to uh, Laura Perry is a great source uh, So uh, next week uh, We will be off uh, I won't be here uh, But I invite you uh, to avail yourself Of the wonderful guests in the archives uh, I'm sure you haven't heard everyone yet And there's lots of good stuff there uh, I will be back uh, on August 23rd And uh, I'll have with me uh, Heather Woodward, and our topic is How to Bring the Divine Feminine into Your Spiritual-Based Business. Uh, So we'll be taking a little bit, uh, you know, different uh, direction uh, on uh, August 23rd. Well, that about does it for uh, tonight, my dear listeners. Uh, I will remind you again of one of the show's mottos, um, what you put your attention into, what you nurture, well, it thrives, and what you neglect withers. Uh, so it's really important to think about that. Uh, nurture and focus on what you want to grow in your life, and uh, don't give a lot of attention to those things that no longer serve you uh, and you could do without. So uh, what you nurture and focus on, it thrives, and what you neglect, it withers. So that also means uh, if you have important relationships in your life, uh, you want to make sure you nurture those and don't neglect them as well. Well, um, again, thank you for being with us. I know in this busy world uh, you have lots of choices, uh, so I appreciate uh, your listener loyalty. Uh, especially for those of you who have been with me over the years. And um, I opened with Alea Deo's uh, Awaken. I will close with it, but with the longer version. Uh, so if you'd like to stick around just a little bit longer and hear that whole cut, uh, it lasts for about six minutes. Uh, so stay comfortable and uh, enjoy. Thank you and good night. Stay cool.
2: Stay uh-huh. cool.